Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Two Cups of Tea. I'm Chris Heath, and I've got the best job in podcasting. I stick the kettle on, open a packet of party rings, and listen to another fascinating life story from an older legend. Today I travelled all the way south to Portsmouth to meet David Ord. He's gentle, warm-hearted, and an irrepressible enthusiast. My favourite kind of person. His life story is fascinating, starting in 1937 in Hartlepool. His tale features a musical youth, a brush-making apprenticeship, hospital radio, rubbing shoulders with showbiz superstars, Bud Flanagan, Harry Worth, playing accordion on stage with old mother Riley, and even a surprise visit from Tony Blackburn and a box of Mars bars. OK, then. I'll go in and set up the microphones while you listen to the theme tune. Let's do this. David Ord, welcome to Two Cups of Tea. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. We're here in Portsmouth. Is that where life began for you? No. No, my life started at West Hartlepool. That's where I was born, in West Hartlepool on the northeast coast. And so, if you don't mind me asking, sir, what year was that? 1937. So, you were born in Hartlepool, West Hartlepool, in 1937. That's right. And... Dad was a musician. Yeah. He played violin and trumpet. And Mum played the piano and she was a singer as well. Wow. And my first recollection of music, Mm. I was three years old. But this must be your earliest memory. Yes, definitely. Uh, Along that time, well, it was uh, during the war anyway... Mm. And the family, like mom's brother and, and her mom, and uh, had a catering business mm. in West Hartlepool. They used to do wedding receptions, uh, parties, dances, and all that sort of thing. Mm. And mom used to go and help in the kitchen. Of course, I had to go as well. Mm. <laughs> and in the corner was mm. a big window, yeah. and it looked into the lounge, and it was a wide windowsill, and I had to sit on that windowsill, and I was not allowed to talk. I wasn't allowed to move yeah. until everything was cleared away. Yes. Then Mum used to take me into the ballroom and listen to them to the music. And if when I hear 
one certain piece of music, I'm automatically back there. So this is you, age three, being told to sit there and be very yes. still, and that's when you were allowed to listen to the musicians do what their sound check. Yes. Um, now now we, we now have to know what the piece of music was. Well, it's called uh, Nights of Gladness. Nights of Gladness. Nights of Gladness. Yes. That sounds very suggestive. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> Both your mum and dad were musical and had that, you know, in there. That must be it. Must be in your blood somewhere. Yes, uh, I started uh, learning music when I was at school. Yeah, I was eight years old then. Of course, I was in boarding school, and we used to do a lot of broadcasting from school. Broadcasting? Uh, yes, we used to broadcast the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. Uh, organ recitals, piano recitals, weather forecast, children's hour, Sunday half hour. Yeah. And that was my very first broadcast on radio. I was nine and we did Sunday half hour from school and I was on that. And that was my very first broadcast. Wow. Oh, so, and did you enjoy school? Um, uh, I didn't mind mm. at all because I was, I, when I first went there, uh, I was a resident. Yes. And then eventually I was a day pupil and then going uh, backwards and forwards to school every day then. Oh, I see. And have you got brothers and sisters? No, no. So just you? Yes. So so what was it you learnt to... What was the first thing you learnt to play? <laughs> ah, that was the piano. And I just could not get the left hand and the right hand to coordinate. It didn't matter how much I practised. Yeah. I just couldn't get them to uh, coordinate. And Dad taught me to read music. Yeah. He, he took me to violin and I gave that up because I could not get the fingers on the right positions on the strings to produce the notes. Yes. And then Dad took me the uh, trumpet after that. I got on quite well with that. And the school, we had our own uh, brass band. Wow. And I used to play the accordion as well. And the accordion, I mean, yes. that sounds more difficult than the piano. Was that? Did you not have a problem with that? The, the... No, no problem at all. Isn't that strange? Yes, very strange. That always seems more difficult for some reason, because <laughs> it's so much about the left hand and the right hand. Yeah, and I got, got it absolutely spot on. And I love the sound of an accordion. Yes, I do as well. I love an accordion. And um, anyway, Dad eventually gave that up, and then... As time went on, uh, when when uh, we left school uh, and we moved to Brighton eventually, yeah, and I joined a dance band, two concert parties, uh, the one concert party, mom, dad, and myself, yeah, ran that one, and we went somebody else's concert party, and. Also, apart from that, I was in a dance band and I kept it all three going at once. Wow. <laughs> so you used to play a lot of cons gigs when you were doing Yes, we did. So how, uh, old, how old were you at this stage? Oh, I was then, uh, oh, early 20s. Well, let's, let's skip back a little bit. 
Because I'd quite like to know what you were like as a little lad. Well, I think, I think really it boils down to the music. I think that more than anything. A love of music. Yes. What did they like listening to? What kind of thing was the that used to well used to get them going? Uh, they used to do all sorts, Pla- um, classical, osomio. That was one. Mm. Oh, there was quite a lot they used to do. And in terms of growing up, were you were you well behaved? Were you naughty? <laughs> were you, were you um, cheeky? And then. Uh, if you did something wrong, you were punished. Yeah. And if you did it twice, wow. And you only told once, and you didn't do it again. Mm. And the although, uh, you know, mom and dad were strict, mm. but they were they weren't cruel with it or rough with it. You that know. That makes sense. They sound fair. They sound like nice people. Um, Dad was, Mum wasn't. Oh. Because <laughs> uh, everything I wanted to do, Mum put a stop to it. Uh, she always used to... Put the thumb down. Thumb down, that's yeah. right. And everything I wanted to do, you can't do it. You're not capable. Oh, like things like what? Well, uh, on one occasion, I had the chance to go to... Uh, Southampton to Geraldo, who was a orchestra leader, and he mm. used to have bands on the passenger ships. And I could have had an audition to do that, go on the, the passenger line. Oh, and on, the, on the passenger line? Yes. And Mum said, no, you're not going to do it. She got the letter, tore it up. Oh, really? Yes. And she, she said, but because you weren't capable. Yes. And what, Dad... Did, yeah. Now Dad was the opposite. He said, "If you, he said, if you had the right encouragement, yeah, you would have been a very good professional musician." I see. And I never had the encouragement. Oh well, from from one side it sounds like you did, but from the other, not so much. That's it. Um, so you, so why? I wonder why your mum didn't think you were capable. I don't know. Mm. I just don't know. You were talking earlier on that you, about you, that you read that you help a disabled. Yes, that's right. Um, so what is that? So and you were saying that you have a disability. Yes, I have actually. Uh, my disability is the worst one of the lot. It's called uh, tunnel uh, vision, and it's the severe tunnel vision. Yeah. There are three types of tunnel vision. Mine is like uh, <coughs> the easiest way to describe it is looking through. A, uh, a pair of binoculars or a telescope. You've got, got no vision, no round vision whatsoever. Oh, I understand. Did you get on well with all your school friends? Did you have, like, a little gang of well, people? Well, rather strange, no. I was virtually a loner. Oh, I see. Nobody bothered. Uh, although I used to talk to the other pupils and that and what have you, but they didn't really bother with me. Only one person... I got to know very well. Yeah. Uh, and he um, was a musician as well. Mm. But the rest of them, I 
no, I, I, they just just didn't want to know. Oh, well, kids are rotten, aren't they? <laughs> um, but it sounds like music was such a big part of your life that that, that filled a void. Um, so when you first left school, how old were you when you left school? I was 16 when I left school. And what did you do as soon as you left? Well, uh, of course, would it have been the... Uh, the Birmingham Royal Institute for the Blind, it was for blind children. Uh, I went into the workshops and I did five and a half years apprenticeship as a brush maker. And we used to make brushes by hand. You know, the platform brushes, what they had on the platforms on the stations. Yeah. We used to make them household brooms, hand brooms, toilet, scrubbing brushes. Toilet brooms. Yeah. Anything to do with the home yeah. we used to make. And what did, once your apprenticeship was over, what did you do next? Well, when I finished my apprenticeship, of course, I moved on working in the workshops. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, Mum and we moved to um, Brighton yeah. from Birmingham. We left Birmingham when I was um, 21. Right. And then um, eventually, in 1960, we moved to Portsmouth. In 1961, Dad and I joined the Portsmouth Light Orchestra. Oh, great. And uh, I was with them until... From 1961 right through until 1979. That's a long and time. Goodness. I was, oh, quite a while ago now, I was looking at some photos um, and I was told I am the only member of the orchestra at that time. And Goodness. our conductor, Irvin Millen, he was an ex-Marine, Bandmaster, mm. and of course you know they he put you through the mill. Yes, if I it, something wasn't bet. right, he used to stop. You've got to do that again, and he made you do it. He was until, an ex-marine. It was say. right. He was an ex-marine. Yes. Say. Yes, I can imagine he would have made you do it. <laughs> so he sounds like a bandmaster and a taskmaster. Oh yes, definitely. Oh, goodness me. That sounds like this is something that's been there for your whole... The music's been the thing that's kind of flavoured your whole life. It has. Is that, is that fair to say? I would say so, yes, definitely. Um, and so you, the, there was also a lot of moving around. What, what, why was there so yes. much moving up until... You, so when you got to Portsmouth, was that you we there? We came in then? 1960. But before that, it was Brighton and it Birmingham was, and Stoke-on-Trent and Hartlepool. Yeah. How come you moved around so much? Well, it... Uh, I think it was to do with Dad's jobs and yeah. also with me seen... as well, being put into boarding school and what have you. Yeah. Uh, and we did a we've done a terrific lot of moving around. Yeah. I can't remember how many moves we. It's a sort of uh, pick up new furniture and just walk, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and so 
once you were here in Portsmouth, and that was you, that was you then set that you stayed in Portsmouth. Yes, from nineteen sixty. Because yes. as you say, you went from this from nineteen sixty one to nineteen seventy nine. You were in the Light Orchestra. Yes, which is a long time. So, what was your instrument of choice by this stage? Well, at this stage, I used to do alto sax and clarinet. Oh, so you used to so you used to straddle both camps. Yes, They're, are they are they quite. Are they quite similar instruments which are in terms um, of playing? They are completely different. The alto sax and all the sax family are easy instruments to play. Yeah. The, well, you, I'm sure, I, I bet I couldn't pick one up and play one. You say that. <laughs> I think that's you being modest, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the hardest one is definitely the clarinet. I see. That is the hardest one to learn. Yeah. Uh, why is it so difficult? Well, you've got... Three different registers to remember. You've got your low register, mm. middle register, top register, and the fingering keeps on changing as well. I see. Throughout this time, so in that you were born in 1937. That's right. So 47, 57. So by the time you settled in Portsmouth, you were about 23. Yes, or, I was, actually. Or, or, or so at this stage. Yeah. So you're about 23. And then, apart from the orchestra, was the orchestra something your day job or? or... Uh, no, it was. We did that as a hobby, actually. Oh, okay. So what was so what was paying your rent at the time? And God, by this time, I was working at the workshops for the disabled in Cosham. Oh, okay. And what did you do there? Brush making. Oh, okay, brilliant. Because you served your apprenticeship. That's right. So you were the one who could, you know, you could probably instruct other people how I to make brushes. I was quite capable. I could go on any job, uh, apart from making the brushes. I, I used to do all the boring, the holes on the stock, and uh, mixing the materials, cutting it, and there was, uh, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I imagine. And that's why the apprenticeship was so long. Yes. Is that exactly right? Yes. But then you're like a master craftsman after that, aren't you? Oh, Yes. Definitely. Oh, that's fantastic. What else were you doing in terms of, you know, at, at this time? Uh, we always we always foot loose and free and single, or did you or did you uh, get involved romantically at any Yes, point? I did. Oh, interesting. <laughs> tell, me about, tell me about your first crush. Well. Who was your first girlfriend? Oh, crazy. That was at school. And we got on all right. Mm. And then... Of course, eventually, when we come here, I did eventually meet a, a, a young lady. Uh, that was only by accident. I went to the pictures one one day over Gosport, and she was sat next to me, and we got talking, and it blossomed from there. We eventually got married. Oh, wonderful. And then we had one son. Of course, he's married now. He's got three children. Yeah. But unfortunately, um, we lost a wife uh, about two, two or three months ago. Oh, David, I'm so sorry. How are you bearing up? <sighs> Difficult. <laughs> yes. And this was the this was the woman you met by chance in the cinema all those yes. years ago. What was her name? Hazel. Hazel. That's a lovely name. It must be a tough time. It is. And so how long have you been, because you, you're in a, a kind of, a, 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 this is a new place for you, is it? Well, 
Uh, I was in a, a place like this one before I came here. Yeah. But it wasn't very good. Um, and is that where you and Hazel were? No. Right. Uh, we had our own house. What? And then eventually, uh, when Hazel started getting problems with her health and what have you, uh, we had to separate because she wanted a lot more attention. And I said, right, that's it. I don't want to stay in the house on my own. Yeah. And we sold the house and I moved, uh, I went into sheltered accommodation. So that, was she in care then? At yes, that she was. Right, I yeah. understand. So, so uh, you couldn't stay in your home on your own because you needed to be somewhere different. Yes, I, I, I wanted, you know, I, I just couldn't put up with it. Yeah, of course. And then uh, where I was before, uh, none of the residents ever spoke to me. Yeah. It was a very cold atmosphere. Um, the only people that really talked to me was um, the manager and his team. Yeah. But none of the residents ever spoke to me at all. Then eventually, well, they sound like a miserable old bunch, don't they? Yes. But eventually I said, I'm not going to put up with this any longer. I yeah. want to get out. Yeah. And then, and then well, I, I don't came, blame came you. And presumably they're a much happier bunch. They you. are. You know, well, we, that's we have what you good... need. You don't want to be around old sourpuss. <laughs> They'll bring you down. <laughs> that's it. And do you know, the atmosphere here, as soon as I walked in the door, I said, I'm home. Yeah. Oh, good. Because the oh, staff and the residents, we all... Mixing together, we all have a chat, and the staff have a chat with us as well, mm. and we have different activities going on at times mm. as well. You were, well, how old was it when you when you met Hazel? How old were you when you met uh, Hazel? I was twenty four. You're about so not long after you came to. That's uh, it. After Portsmouth, yeah. And then you met by chance. Chance, yes. And then you. Fell in love and got married. Of course. Uh, and you had a son. Yeah. And so that's, and then you're based in Portsmouth at this point. That's it. Uh, Mom was the headdresser at the Birmingham Hippodrome. She was the dresser? Yes. Oh, so she was backstage and backstage, used to be in charge of... Looked, he looked after the, the Dressing acts. in the dressing rooms of the stars and other members of the cast, whatever. Yeah. And I remember very well the first time that I went to the Birmingham Hippodrome to see a show, a variety yeah. show. Of course, in those days, um, at the side of the stage, they had a big square... Green, and they didn't have a compare in those days for a variety show. Yeah, each turn the number came up as like act one, act two, and and then at the side of the stage, looking at it from where I am, yeah, if you looked at it on the right hand side, there was a door, and we saw a usherette coming down the aisle mm. and she stopped at our row and can you pass this tray along to seat number so and so? And it was I said to Dad, I said, I wonder who that's for. Yeah. I don't know. And 
it ended up, it was for us, it was a, a, a pot of tea, tea, uh, tea and cakes. Really? Yes. And other times we've had boxes of chocolate passed to us, wow. ice cream. That all, and that's all because your mum was a dresser Yes. There. And she must have met lots of the actors. Yes, we d- yes, she did. And, uh, and did you well, ever get to meet any other people there? I did meet them a lot. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. Um, is that what this piece of paper is? Yes, it is. This is from, I'm, now, I'm now picking up a piece of paper. These are some of the people that you... That you goodness me. <laughs> Look at this list of people. <laughs> a, okay, so I'm going to go through that. I'm going to pick out a few. Yeah. You met Bud Flanagan. Yes. As in Bud Flanagan, as in uh, Flanagan and Alan, and who sang the theme tune from Dad's Army. Uh, no, what that was... Uh, when I was with the Portsmouth Light Orchestra, yeah. we were asked to do the music because he was doing a charity show yeah. uh, one for one night at the um, New Theatre Royal in Portsmouth. Yeah. And we were asked to do the music. So the conductor said to me, oh, would you like to go and meet him? We've got to go up to get the music. So I said, yes, all right. And how old were you at this point? Oh, I would be about 25, 26, roughly. Yeah. And I, we went up to his dressing room and we thought, well, he's bound to have a chat for about five or ten minutes. Mm. Knocked on his door, just opened the door. Oh, that's the music. Just, and he opened the door, just enough room to push the music through, bang, shut the door. Oh, really? And that's what he was like. Oh, dear. And then during the show, he said something. And, of course, my sense of humour, mm. <laughs> I picked up on it and I answered him back. Of course, what happened was everybody started to laugh. Of course. And they didn't like that. No, he didn't no, like no. that. <laughs> well, he's, he didn't, he, no, they don't like being upstaged. So <laughs> let's look. I'm not, um, who's this? The man with no arms. Yes. Who was? I've never heard of the man with no arms. Now that was absolutely amazing. Uh, he played the piano. Yeah. Uh, he could do virtually anything. Was this all, but all with his feet. Yes, it? all with his feet. Uh, he, what he did, he got a volunteer up on the stage. Yeah. He said, "Anybody want wants to shave?" Uh, somebody went up. Yeah. And he, he, you know the old cutthroat razors? Oh, my He God. used one of them, and when he finished, he said, what do you think? He said, that's the best shave I've ever had. Oh, my word. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a very brave volunteer. Yes. But, but, you know, that's incredible. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, who else is on Let's have a look at this list. Norman Wisdom. Yes. Don't tell me he, don't tell me he was like Bud Flanagan. Tell me, no. tell me he oh, was lovely. Oh, it was quite the opposite. And he was doing this. Unfortunately, I didn't see the show. Yeah. And I, I at the time, uh, that was when I was with Hospital Radio. Yeah. And I had a friend that worked at the King's Theatre, and he said, "Oh, uh, Norman Wisdom's coming. You want to interview him? Yes, of course I do." Anyway, we're all set up, mm. and so you were interviewing him for was for that... Hospital Radio. Oh, this wow. was. And then um, knocked on his door, uh, opened the door, come on in, take your coat off. Yeah. Uh, would you like a cup of tea? Yeah. Tea for three, please, because he had his, uh, his uh, PA with him as well. Oh, okay. So he, and, he got her to make you tea. And they brought three cups of tea in, and then we were doing the interview drinking tea. Oh, lovely. It'll never catch on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's at, it was as if you you felt as if you'd known him for ages. You know. Oh, he, so he was, was a nice man. He was. He was like. Oh, I'm so like glad. That on, off stage is what he was on stage. Oh, good. And also, Windsor Davies and Melvin Hayes. Yes. Now, did they come? Did you meet them together? Yes, they were. I thought so because of Anne Hot Mum. That's right. And the day when I interviewed them. Yeah. They were doing a stage version of it, Hang Off Hot Mom, at the King's Theatre. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the one thing I, I remember about Melvin Hayes. I had to interview him once, years and years ago. And because when he played Gloria, which was this ridiculously camp soldier yes. in Hang Off Hot Mom, he had that kind of very high voice like that. That's right. And the first time I spoke to him on the phone, he went, hello. <laughs> I mean, can I speak to Melvin Hayes, please? This is Melvin Hayes. And I thought, oh, my God. I, was, I wasn't expecting him to do his voice to be so deep. I thought, this is... It was incredible. His voice was so... Was oh, really, dear. Hello, this is Melvin Hayes speaking. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, and you met Clive Dunn. Yes. From Dad's Army. Yeah, of course, Clive Dunn. Was he? I bet he was a nice man. He was. 
And I thought I was going to interview him at the King's Theatre. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, he said, it would be a good idea if you come to where I'm staying yeah. and do the interview there. So, yes, all right. He would say, staying in Southsea. Anyway, I went along. Of course, I had a, a ID that I had to have on my coll- uh, collar to say hospital radio and what have you. Yeah. Anyway, I got to where he was staying, knocked on the door. Uh, can I help you? Yeah, uh, I'm from hospital radio, come to interview Clive Dunn. He's not doing interviews. Yeah. Of course, with that, Clive Dunn was upstairs and he came out onto the balcony. Yeah. He said, hello, David, come on up. And oh, he lovely. said, right. He said, tea for two, please. And he was a nice guy. He was. was. Yeah, but he was a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, it also says here, this one, this this is uh, this is one's incredible. Old Mother Riley. Yes. So who was it? Who was it playing Old Mother Riley? Because uh, there, there, there were more than there was more than one, wasn't no, there? No. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, interviewed Arthur Lucan himself. Oh, so you, it was the original. Old yes. Mother Riley. It was Arthur Lucan that you interviewed. Yes. That's incredible. And what was he like? Oh, it was funny. Uh, we went into. So was he? Was he? Was he still doing Old Mother Riley when you interviewed yes. him? Yes. Or, or was he? Was he? Uh, like, was well, he retired? What happened was, along this time, it was when we were in Brighton, actually. Yeah. Uh, we went to the Aston Hippodrome. A friend and I we used to go every week, and Old Mother Riley was there for a week. Yeah. And then um, we went back. Down to stage door to get his autograph. Yeah. Oh, come on into the dressing room, and we were having a chat, mm. and he was showing us how you know the uh, the slapstick custard that they used to have. Yes. He, sh- he showed us how to how they made that up. Oh, the slop. They yeah. Called, didn't they? Yeah. And he he looked at me. He said, "You're a musician, aren't you?" I said, "Yes." And I never said anything. Right. He said, "I've got one of my." cast that's in the show yeah. they're on holiday next week and I don't want to cut cut anything out or alter anything I want it left as it is uh, can you come for an audition Sunday morning, like tomorrow morning, I said yes, went along had the audition and the, the following week I was in the show for a week You were in a show with old mother with Arthur yes. Lucan Yeah, because Arthur Lucan was the original old mother That's Riley. right Goodness me! And what was that? So what was his act? So you were one of the musicians as part of the act. Um, so, no, so you, I, you I was a it? soloist then. Oh, I, okay. I was playing the accordion then. Oh, so you were an accordionist at the yes. time. And so, were you in the orchestra pit, or were you no, on stage with? Actually, him, on stage. That's incredible. <laughs> and all that was because you went through hospital radio to interview him. This was before before we moved to Portsmouth. Yeah. And before I got onto hospital radio. <laughs> So how how come you met him then? Just because you wanted to go and... Well, we, he was doing the show and that extended it to a fortnight. Yeah. And my friend and I went round to the backstage to get his autograph. And that's how it all started. Oh, my gosh. You went round to get his autograph. Yeah. And you ended up playing on stage with yeah. him for a week. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> um, Harry Worth. Yes. 
Harry Worth, uh, so some people might know Harry Worth best for is at his show, and he used to, he was the one who raised his right arm and that's leg. That's right, that's in, it. In the mirror. In the mirror, in, in that's the, right. In the shop window, so that's it looks right. like he's doing star jobs. Yes. Um, so, well, how did you, was that Hospital Radio again? Uh, yes, it was. He was at the King's Theatre uh, in pantomime, and I went along to interview him, and of course he was uh, between the sh- uh the matinee, uh, he was getting ready, of course, and uh, it, it was it was good to interview. Yeah, really funny, and it ended up rather strange. I started interviewing him, and he said, all of a sudden, for some unknown reason, I don't know how it happened, it ended up that he was interviewing me. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, during that time, the door opened, and who should walk in but Tony Blackburn? Really? Yes. And he had a big box of um, Mars bars. You know how they... How they <laughs> you know how they this is quite them. a weird story. And in, they, in comes Tony Blackburn with a big box of Mars yeah. bars. And it, that was for... You know how they threw them at... Oh, they throw them into the audience, right, and I he, see. And he came back a bit later on. Uh, we, well, of course, by the, this time, we'd finished doing the interview. Yeah. And we would, uh, Harry and I, we were just having a chat, and he came in, another big box of cho- of uh, Mars bars. They are, take those down to the studios. So David, from you know, from brush making to you know the light orchestra to hospital radio to rubbing shoulders with some of the you know the biggest stars of of stage and screen, you've certainly had a you've certainly had a, a very full life. I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of Hazel. Um, if I were to ask you what lesson you've learned in life, you know, or what what your motto that you live by is. Well, I think I think uh, uh, the main thing is never grow old. Always keep active. Yeah. Always do something. Never grow old. And that was David. He was a joy to spend time with. As you'll have just heard, this podcast is about sharing some fantastic life stories. But there are well over a million chronically lonely people in the UK who have no one to share their stories with. If you'd like to know more about ways to change this, then please go online and visit campaigntoendloneliness.org and find out how together we can make loneliness a thing of the past. Thanks again to David and also thanks to Acast for hosting the show. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.